Uh, this is Lindsay Miller, and you're listening to the Arkansas Times Week Interview Podcast on Friday, May the 4th. On this week's episode, we're going to discuss the John Woods corruption trial, the guilty plea of yet another former state senator, Hank Wilkins, and more. I'm joined uh, this week by Benjamin Hardy. Hello, Benji. Hi, Lindsay. How are you? Do these levels look okay? Th- those are appropriate levels. Okay. We're fine. Uh, if you want to get real excited, though, we can bring the levels up. Mm, no, thanks. Benji, I'd rather not get excited. Benji's running technical support this week. That's that's why we're talking about levels. So, former state senator John Woods was found guilty this week on 15 counts in his federal corruption case. Consultant Randall Shelton Jr., who was on trial along with Woods on related charges, was found guilty of 12 counts. Surprise. Well, no. I mean, if you had to bet, that's what that's the outcome I think I would have expected. But um, still, I mean, a little bit. I mean, with the case this big, trial this this big, it's, you know, nothing really certain um, until it's all said and done for. I mean, um, so also it should be mentioned uh, there are two two plea agreements um, that factored into this as well. Um one, another former legislator, Representative Micah Neal, uh, Repub- Republican of Springdale, who pleaded guilty a while back. And testified at length in the testified trial. Testified at length against against Senator Woods and against Sheldon, saying that, um, I believe he used the term slush fund to describe the general improvement fund money, which is sort of at the heart of all of this stuff. Um, that's the state fund of surplus money that was used to provide grants to Ecclesia College. And then that uh, Ecclesia president, uh, Warren Paris, is also uh, also pleaded guilty um, right before the trial began, and that was that was a surprise. He was um, going to go on trial along with Woods and Shelton, then he flipped the last minute. Uh, he was never actually called to the stand for whatever reason by prosecutors, though evidently they didn't need it in order to to, to uh, convict him, convict Woods and Shelton. Um. So um, not a huge surprise, but, I mean, enormous um, implications for the road ahead because this is just one of, of multiple corruption um, scandals that are sort of unfolding. It's the one that broke first, but um, there's certainly a lot, a lot more to come in the state, and I'm sure that legislators and uh, lobbyists and others who, who are in, in – uh, who may be implicated in, in other um, – Kickback schemes around the state are are watching the verdict that happened this week uh, with a lot of trepidation. Um, we should certainly expect appeals from both Woods and Shelton. Right? Yeah. I mean, I think Woods' attorneys said that pretty explicitly. They they'll certainly appeal, and there's you know there's stuff to appeal on. I mean, there's this is such a strange and convoluted case. I, mean, I think the central thing is the this FBI agent who. Um, for reasons unknown, wiped a computer that eliminated uh, files of interest to the uh, audio files that were recordings of Neil, I believe, that were of interest to the to the prosecution. Um, and he was later removed from from the investigation. The defense did call him to the stand during the trial, though they the judge said that that the defense couldn't bring up the I- certain issues whenever questioning him. So yeah, I mean it's definitely headed for an appeal, and I'm sure they'll they'll bring that up. Um, Do we know what sort of uh, prison time they're facing if they? Well, stands? sure. I mean, um, 
<laughs> others could could may be able to give you a, a more educated um, opinion on that. I mean, on paper, you know, it's like I mean, twenty years for an individual count of bribery is the maximum. Though that's that maximum is not. I mean, there's it's not really applicable because there's um, so many sentencing guidelines that come into play. I mean, federal sentencing is is such a uh, its own sort of world, you know, and there's points to be awarded for this or that. So we're a long ways off from from that phase. Um, and and again, you know, I, I'm I'm not the person to to speak intelligently about federal sentencing guidelines. Got the wrong person. Yeah, today. sorry. Um, Anything else you want to say about this? Well, I mean, um, there's I mean, there's so much to be said about it. I mean, I. I I don't want to just beat a dead horse by rehashing all the details of the case because we've talked about it so much in the past and others here and you know every media outlet in the state have talked about it. Um, I think, I mean, some of the big takeaways, though, are, I mean, this fund, the, uh, the GIF, I mean, the governor has said that it's going away for good, you know, and I think, I think Governor Hutchinson is pretty adamant about that, given not just this case, but some of the other things that have emerged in recent recent months and years. I mean, and and so I think we can say that the idea of this surplus state money that legislators have uh, a lot of control over for local projects, that is probably dead. But one of the things that came out in the trial was testimony from legislators uh, such as State Senator Bart Hester, a uh, Republican from Northwest Arkansas, as well as uh, folks that ran these planning and development districts that ostensibly were the ones responsible for allocating those grants. Um, I mean, and they said pretty clearly along, I mean, they backed up the testimony of Mike O'Neill and saying that this was a slush fund. This was money that everybody knew was controlled by legislators, and, and they used it to to direct money to, to projects that they liked. I mean, some of those might have been entirely above board projects, like um, the prototypical park or rural fire department or whoever that needed an improvement to fix something entirely worthy. But um, the point is that this money, which was, I mean, in, in theory, it worked like these planning and development districts were the ones that, that made the decisions. And they had boards composed of local folks who, who um, made informed decisions about deserving nonprofits or whatever. But in practice, um, they were controlled by the legislators that made the disbursements because that's where the money came from. It came from the state uh, appropriation process, and everybody knew that if John Woods or Mike O'Neill said that Ecclesia College gets $200,000, then that's who got $200,000. So, um, I mean, more scrutiny of that process is certainly, it seems, it seems inevitable that it will, um, that will spill over into some of these other cases, and in fact, perhaps we can segue into another one of those cases. Yeah, it was a real gif graftapalooza this week. Uh, Henry Hank Wilkins the fourth. The Did fourth. you come up with that phrase beforehand? Is it no. just off the top of your head? Just while, while I was listening to you talk. A former Democratic uh, legislator from Pond Bluff, state senator, pleaded guilty on Monday to conspiring to accept more than $80,000 in bribes in exchange for influencing legislation and transactions. Uh, there's a lot to this. Right. Um, so, and, and so, you know, the, the GIF general improvement fund money does play into this as well, because um, in, 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 I'll back up. So Wilkins is accused of uh, basically passing legislation 
um, in 2013. I think at the time he was a representative, although he served for a while in the Senate. Um, at that time, he was in the House. Um, in 2013, he's accused of of, uh, of sponsoring legislation that benefited um, uh, the clients of a certain lobbyist, unnamed in the um, in the federal information, uh, but who matches closely the description of. Uh, lobbyist Rusty Cranford, who has popped up in the Woods case and in uh, another, yet another corruption case. He was supposed to go on trial in the other corruption case in Missouri sometime this year. Right, right. Um, so, um, you know, allegedly Wilkins uh, performed favors for, um, for an entity associated with this lobbyist as well as clients of the lobbyist, entities that were clients of the, lobby- of the lobbyist. Um, I say allegedly, but this is stuff that Wilkins, you know, pleaded guilty to. So it's it's according to Wilkins' statement to the pr- federal prosecutors, this is what happened. Um, nobody else has been, you know, charged with anything in this particular sort of this corner of the of the corruption world in Arkansas. Uh, so um, we'll just have to see about what other indictments or charges come out of this. But um, the so the, the the other side of that the, of this alleged uh, quid pro quo is that Wilkins was then paid through a, a uh, sorry a Methodist church in Pine Bluff where he was pastor. He had full control over that church's discretionary account, and the lobbyist in question um, wrote check after check after check to this church uh, um, as charitable donations, uh, totaling over eighty thousand dollars over the course of several years. So um, in, in 2013, Wilkins sponsored several bills that prosecutors say were favorable to this lobbyist clients. Uh, one of those was a GIF grant, and um, a, a portion of that, that money went to, uh, well, several different non- nonprofits, but one of the ones that sort of is, is really caught our attention is um, the federal information identifies it as a Magnolia-based nonprofit that uh, serves youth in Arkansas, serves the, in the Division of Youth Services. Well, that very closely fits the description of South Arkansas Youth Services, a Magnolia-based nonprofit that contracts with uh, the Division of Youth Services. Um, and I spoke for a while earlier this week with uh, Jerry Walsh, who is the former director of South Arkansas Youth Services, though it's actually gone bankrupt or is going bankrupt. It's no longer, uh, it's no longer operating but um, I mean, Walsh essentially confirmed that that he'd been contacted by federal investigators. He'd turned over records related to that GIF grant that his organization received about a year ago, um, and um, and and lots more. <laughs> um, there's also in, in that in that same uh, federal information. There's frequent frequent reference made to another legislator who is identified only as Senator A. Um, now. It should be made clear that Senator A has not been accused of any wrongdoing, and neither is, is South Arkansas Youth Services or the entity we assume to be South Arkansas Youth Services. Um, they're not, I mean, nobody else has been, has been charged with anything or is accused explicitly of any crime here. Um, but um, Senator A that pops up in this information um, appears to be uh, emailing uh, Hank Wilkins closely and the lobbyists closely throughout all of this. Um, and and ch- uh, sort of chiming in on the details of this this legislation that Wilkins allegedly sponsored um, for corrupt purposes. Um, now, 
it doesn't name Senator A, but it does name uh, it, it, or it does state the, the terms in which he served in the Arkansas legislature. Um, first in the House, then in the Senate. And there's only one senator who's still serving that matches up with that description, and that would be Senator Jeremy Hutchinson, um, who is a Republican from Little Rock, also the governor's nephew. Uh, we tried to reach Governor uh, or Senator Hutchinson repeatedly by phone this week and by text and email and received no response. Um, so we will see. Uh, and you talked to Walsh. You asked Walsh about Hutchinson. I did, yes. Um, I mean, so... <laughs> So I should I should back up and say that Jerry Walsh made it clear that he, you know, he believes nothing was, uh, uh, you know, not above board here on his end. He said that he is, uh, you know, he retained the services of this particular lobbyist. Uh, he doesn't know what that lobbyist did down in the legislature. He says that he, Jerry Walsh, never talked to Hank Wilkins about sponsoring any bills. Um, are any legislators about getting any particular general improvement fund grants, you know. So he's very clear about that. Um, but, yeah, I did a- also ask him, have you uh, ever done any business with Jeremy Hutchinson? He said, yes, I have. Um, South Arkansas Youth Services retained the services of Hutchinson as an attorney uh, a couple years ago when, when South Arkansas was going through some uh, trouble with their contract to the legislature. Now, that's not illegal. I mean, so... Hutchinson is an attorney, and attorneys can do side work. I mean, well, that's, I mean, the way the legislature works is, you know, you retain your job while you're sitting there. So uh, in Hutchinson's telling, he was just doing, well, he hasn't, he hasn't said anything, so I shouldn't say in his telling, but, like, it, it's, uh, it's not uncommon for legislators to, to, to do work uh, for, say, a client while they're in the legislature. It's just creates a question of should should he should he be doing that not is it illegal and you ask if any other legislators had done work for him and he told you that correct uh michael lamoureux the former senate uh pro tem from russellville also republican um who it's known has has done fairly lucrative consulting or legal work uh for clients in the past while he was sitting in the legislature um, that's that came out several years ago. Uh, so Michael Lamoureux also did some some legal work for South Arkansas Youth Services a and while he sh- back. He showed up in the Woods trial too, right? He did, yeah, though tangentially, because um, I mean, one of the odd things about the Woods trial that is still I still don't quite grasp is that John Woods apparently convinced a number of other legislators to to send money to send GIF money to Ecclesia College as well. Um, and one of those was was Michael Lamoureux, who whose district was nowhere near um, Northwest Arkansas, or, or at least Springdale. It could just be that John Woods was incredibly charismatic. Uh, he could be very persuasive. Yes, I don't. He's never tried to persuade me of anything, so I, I can't speak to that. Okay. Do we need to say anything else? Uh, I think that it's fair to say that we suspect that maybe Hank Wilkins is not the last. Uh, person uh, <laughs> <laughs> well you know i mean you Who don't knows? you don't i mean yeah i mean um this plea agreement is so full of um you know unnamed parties uh, person a person b like it's um seems almost inevitable that 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 some of that will find its way into another um indictment we shall see uh, lastly, the state Supreme Court this week um, 
lifted an injunction. Uh, I think it was an injunction. Maybe it was a temporary restraining order that Pulaski uh, County Circuit Judge Alice Gray had uh, put on the, the state from um, requiring voters to show ID at the polls during the primary election. Right. Yeah. Um, I think it. I think it was an injunction. Um, and so this was uh, the latest sort of turn in the in the voter ID um, back and forth. Uh, Circuit Judge Alice Gray made a ruling. I mean, later than a lot of people liked, like closer to the May primaries than a lot of people liked, and um, and so the state requested of the state Supreme Court that it. That it stay that injunction, uh, such that the the voter ID law could be in effect in time for early voting to begin in those May primaries, which it did. Um, I mean, so there's first this the 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 fact that it will be in effect for these primary elections. So I mean, potentially, if if, if you're inclined to believe that voter ID disfra- disenfranchises voters, then you know there's the possibility of that having an impact. Um, but there's also this sort of larger question of the underlying lawsuit of, of will the law stand? And that's important because a previous version of the voter ID law was struck down by the Supreme Court um, several years ago. Uh, but the Supreme Court has changed a lot since then. And um, to get just a little into the, the legal arguments behind it, so at you, I don't remember what year it was. Was it 2014 20, when those court struck it down before. But, I don't remember. Um, at the time, there was a majority opinion which said that uh, it was unconstitutional because it restricted voters. I mean, because it, it, they pointed to um, an, an amendment in the state constitution, amendment, amendment 51, which says that uh, the state basically cannot place other restrictions on voting except for this short list of things. And they said requiring an ID was a new restriction. Well, there was also a, a concurring opinion from three justices who said, uh, basically, we don't need to get into that question about the merits of it. We just um, we just need to we say that the law should be struck down because of a procedural issue that the legislature passed this law, not by a two thirds majority of both chambers, which is the threshold required f- for an amendment to the Constitution um, or to change and to modify an amendment to the Constitution. So. So the point of this is that those three justices are the only ones that remain on the Supreme Court. Um, the other four have all seats have all turned over. And so um, the legislature, when it passed this newer version of the, the voter ID law, were careful to get that two-thirds majority um, so that they could point to that and say to the three justices who wrote the concurring opinion, look, we've, we've fulfilled the requirement. Now, I mean... Whether or not the court would buy that, and whether it would still, it might still say that the underlying law itself is unconstitutional because it restricts voters, has been an open question. But the fact that the court was willing to to stay uh, the lower court's injunction um, makes it makes it seem that um, I think it was possible. A, a six to yeah. one decision, right? With six to one decision. Yes. Uh, Chief Justice Kemp. Only dissented. He dissented, yes, and I, I don't think there was any explanation given for their, you know, for no. the dissent. But. So I mean, um, it'll proceed. So again, aside from this, the the election closer to closer at hand, um, these is going to be argued before the Supreme Court, or they're going to hear the case sooner or later, and and we'll see what they do with it. Okay, 
Well, let's leave it there and move on to endorsements. What do you have this week, Benji? Um, I think I have something, Lindsay. Okay. I, <laughs> uh, so uh, I recently had the good fortune of seeing David Byrne perform. and He's playing at Memphis in May tomorrow. You could head, is he? head there. I didn't, I didn't know that. I don't know if there's still tickets, but it could be you. Well, so I maybe I mentioned this before, but I, I think um, one of the things that made his performance so incredible to me when I saw him was just this, the, the stage, like the floor show. Like it was in a, an auditorium in a theater, like at a university. Is that the University of Arizona? I just happened to be there. Um, and it was, I mean, um, it's all like light and motion driven. Like it's, <laughs> David Byrne appears at the beginning of the of the set alone wearing the sort of gray flannel suit uh barefoot and holding i think i think it was a model of a human brain i was kind of far away so i couldn't quite tell and he's gradually joined on stage by uh other musicians one by one each of which are similarly attired all barefoot and it's it's such a it's such like a kinetic like movement driven show like i don't like dance isn't anything I ever watch or particularly care about um, but um, it made me wonder if I should more because it just it was just incredible to watch like and it made it made like sort of uh, static like standing in one place with a guitar rock performance that I'm used to observing seem so dull in comparison um, but how old is David Byrne now? I don't know 95 at least Got to be in his sixties. I think so. Yeah, I, mean, I kept thinking about about that too because he was hopping around all over the place. Like it was, <laughs> it was, it was quite incredible. I bet he loves right. Uh, <laughs> I think he does. I, uh, if you have the chance, definitely check out. I mean, see David Byrne if you can. Maybe that goes without saying. It, but I almost didn't because I didn't know what kind of music David Byrne was making these days. Like, I mean, he's a prolific guy, and I thought maybe this is going to be all some weird experimental stuff that. I'm going to be falling asleep to in my chair, but he played a lot of Talking Head songs, and um, it was just, I mean, it was just a fantastic show from beginning to end. A lot of his recent records have been pretty good. I I believe you. I haven't listened to this. <laughs> Get with it. I know. I don't really have anything to endorse. Uh, I did see, while we are on the concert tip, I went to see Beach House. Tried to get you to go, Benji, but you fell through. I was busy. Yeah, right. Um, and they... They are more of a t- traditional rock show, and that they just stand there. But what gazing off into the middle distance? What differentiates them is that they um, use lights to great effect and project the lights. What are they? Backlit or frontlit? I don't know. It's a way that you you like can't see them. You can just see light. Like they're just kind of bathed in light the whole time, and it obscures them. But it's uh, it works with their dream pop um, moody everybody sort of sways along hmm <laughs> is that the future you want yes it is in fact um, it was very strange it was my first concert maybe ever at the Clear Channel Metroplex I don't think it's Clear Channel Metro. it's just called the Metroplex now and it was so bizarre it's you walk we walk through this long office corridor it was like going you know, to see your doctor and going down a long <laughs> fluorescent uh-huh. lit hallway. And then you end up in this big room and they had kind of like tiki decorations. Um, and then 
the show is over and, <laughs> and everybody kind of filed out through this the just, office room. This sounds like <laughs> it sounds like you're just describing going to like attend a, a corporate meeting somewhere. It was very much like <laughs> that, except for the concert. They also ran out of beer, and the guy I know the guys that run it have been doing music in Arkansas forever. They didn't completely run out of beer, but they ran out of most beer. This seems nuts. Like. You know how many tickets you sold? Surely there's a formula for that. I don't know. Take it up with them. Outrage. Thanks for listening. Subscribe via iTunes. Give us a rating and review. And check out our other podcast. We are uh, a burgeoning podcast network here. We've got No Small Talk Entertainment Podcast. I think we'll be back next week. Um, The Conversation with Matt Price. He's got a new one uh, that will be up probably next week. Um, and then Rock the Culture with Antoine Phillips um, had a new episode this week. He interviewed uh, um, the Innovation Hub director who I wrote about, his name I can't remember, Christopher Chris Jones. Jones. Yeah, Chris Jones. So check that out. It's, I'm sure it's great. Um, thanks, Benji. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Lindsay. Thanks, everybody. We'll be back next week. podcast you just heard was recorded with anchor if you want to make your own download the android or ios app completely free from anchor.fm slash podcast that's anchor.fm slash podcast